0: Well, good morning. We are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This section in Matthew 5 through 7 is considered by many some of the greatest teaching of Jesus, some of the greatest teaching of all time. And up to this point in the sermon, Jesus has been dealing with some ethical and relational matters of kingdom living. We have seen how God transforms followers of Jesus by the righteousness he provides. And now, this morning, we're going to continue on this series and this sermon, and we're going to see how some external activities of followers of Jesus and his kingdom need to look like. Jesus, we are about to read, is going to show us how a true disciple of him performed their religious duties from the heart, and how we have to be aware of spiritual self-deception when it comes to living out God's kingdom values. So we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to read that for us at this time. You could follow along in a Bible, in an order of worship, or you could just listen as I read. Jesus says these words to us, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, This is God's word, and it is given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your spirit, and we thank you for your son. We pray that your spirit will take these words of Matthew and the words that I have prepared, and may it help us all see the true word, Jesus, and how he matters in our lives and in our relationship to you and to others. In your holy name, amen. So I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, and my memory is not that great, but I can still vividly remember certain things that happened in my childhood. In fact, I can remember details of key events in my life as if they happened last week. For example, I can remember as a kid walking into the movie theater to see the first Star Wars film in the theater. It was life transforming for me as a seven-year-old. I can remember hearing on the radio for the first time the song Thriller. And I can remember when I got to see Geraldo Rivera on live TV open up Al Capone's secret vault. It was epic. I want to talk a bit about that key event with you briefly. It happened on April 21st, 1986. Many of you were not even born yet. But I was babysitting someone at the time, and I remembered the kid was asleep, so I got to watch for two hours this live, spectacular event. If you're not familiar with this event, it actually happened here in Chicago, at the former Lexington Hotel, where Al Capone, the mobster, used to live. Well, the hotel had closed, and a few years after it had closed, they found some secret vaults that they thought were Al Capone's. And so a live event was hosted by Rivera and it was planned for that night in April. I was hyped up because I remember being promised we might see great riches, we might see some weapons, some guns, we might even see some dead bodies. And I gotta tell you, as a 16 year old kid, I couldn't wait. I remember seeing the vault on the TV. I remember loving the buildup that was happening for this show. And I remember the explosion And then the dust clearing as Rivera goes into the vault to show us the treasures. And what was found? Empty bottles and dirt. Very disappointing. All this buildup, all this promise, and what was inside was dirt and garbage. On the outside, the vault looked very promising until we got to see inside. This is what Jesus is talking about in the passage I just read. Jesus is talking about things that look good on the outside, but on the inside are dirty. Jesus wants us to look inside our hearts and see what is truly inside. And if we do that, it'll often be very scary for us. Jesus in this part of the Sermon on the Mount gives us instructions to make sure that our outward appearances match our inner reality of our lives. And often that is not the case. If we are honest, often our outward appearances do not match our inward reality at all. Often we feel like we have to act a certain way because of our faith. We have to do a certain thing because we're a part of a church. We have to believe a certain thing because that's what we've been told to believe. And deep down inside, we don't feel it, so we fake it. We act the part, even inside, our motives and our desires are completely wrong. And we act like the hypocrites that Jesus is talking about here in this passage. The word hypocrite, you might know, comes from an old Greek word which refers to actors. It refers to wearing a mask or pretending to be someone you are not for the sake of a play. How often do we wear masks in our day-to-day lives? How often is what is known about Christians is that we are hypocrites. The answer to that is often and the truth is they're right. I don't think any of us can read this passage honestly and not think, man do I struggle at times with two-faced spirituality. Jesus often encountered the religious leaders of his day who did their duties to be seen by others. Jesus confronts the religious acts in the public domain In order to get respect and praise from others. Are we any different? You know, if you've been around kids at all in your life, there's a phrase that I am confident you have heard. Mommy, watch me. Mommy, watch. Dad, watch what I'm doing. Watch me. Watch me. Over and over again, kids want us to watch them. But let's be honest. (laughs) We may not say those words, but how often when we do things, even good things for God, do we want people to watch us? Do we want people to see us? Do we want people to know us? And listen, the desire to be seen and known is a good desire, but how often is our motivation to be seen so screwed up and consuming in our lives? How often do we act a certain way and put on a mask to be seen as someone that we are not? And how often do we do good things not for the sake of God or others, but really for the sake of being seen. Our passage today deals with what one commentary I read puts it, theatrical righteousness. I like that phrase. It is dangerous to act the part of being good and faithful to be seen by others. Our passage today calls his followers of Jesus, which is many of us in this room, to be on guard against the type of spiritual self-deception that the religious leaders fell trapped to in his day. Jesus is very interested in us not only doing what is right, but doing what is right for the right reason. Let's look at verse 1 again. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This is the theme verse of this whole section we're looking at today. This is the main point Jesus wants us to see today. Our righteousness, our piety, our religious duties, our religious self-disciplines must be done with the right motivation and the right reasons. Our righteousness, our good deeds can often serve the most self-centered of all human desires, self-glorification. So Jesus calls us here to think about some good things that we are called to do in our faith and why and who we should do these things for. Jesus is not saying that outward things don't matter. It is good to give to the needy. It is good to pray to God. It is good to fast when it is appropriate. Jesus assumes that his followers are going to do these things. He uses the word when, not if. When you give. When you pray. When you fast, we are called to do these good spiritual disciplines of giving and praying and fasting. These are things we do not to gain access to God, but because we are children of God and they are good things. But we must not do them just to be noticed by others. What matters to Jesus is we do these things for God and God alone. What matters to Jesus is we do not perform for man's praise, but for God's glory. What matters to Jesus is having the proper motivation and actions. What matters to Jesus is having a life that looks the same on the outside as it does on the inside. That is what verse 1 is all about, and we should already feel convicted today. How often do we do things more with the hope of being recognized and praised Than for God's glory? How often do we care more that other people know about our spirituality than that God knows us? How often do we trade the goal of pleasing God with the goal of trying to get pleasing comfort or affirmation from others? I struggle with this all the time. I struggle with good things that God calls me to do with very wrong motives of wanting to be loved or accepted or considered a certain way. I'm confident I'm not alone in this struggle. We're going to spend some time looking at these three illustrations of giving and prayer and fasting. But I want to think about one thing we see in all three. In fact, it's probably been the most challenging and convicting part Of working on this sermon. It is the thing I thought about even as I went in between the services this morning. It's the one thing that I keep thinking, this is really hard for me to fight against. You see, Jesus says in all three of these disciplines, giving and prayer and fasting, that we will be rewarded by others if we do these things. We could be known as a generous person, and that feels really good. That's like a nice reward. If people see us as a spiritual person when we pray, or when we lead Bible studies, or when we preach a sermon, that feels good. We could be seen as disciplined and self-sacrificial when we fast, or when we give up certain things for God. We could be seen as godly, as holy, as better than others when we do these things. We do get rewarded when we do spiritual disciplines and people see it. But if that's the goal, if that's our motivation, then we need to hear these convicting words again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen because you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. God will not reward us when we do things for others to see. God will not reward us when we seek the approval of others more than God's approval. Now, Jesus doesn't say what kind of reward we're going to expect. I have some ideas that I'm going to share in a bit. But the reality is knowing God better should be reward enough. But how often is that not the case for us? Do we believe that doing things for our Father in secret is better than doing things to be noticed? I would have to say no at times for me. Do we truly believe that we have the right motives for our actions in our lives? I'm thankful that Jesus uses three different illustrations of spiritual disciplines in our passage to help us focus not just on the right actions, but the right motives. So let's start with this call to give. Verse 2 says that when we give to the needy, we should not sound a trumpet before us. Now the odds are there probably wasn't people in the temple blowing a horn before they gave their offering. This probably isn't talking about people blowing a trumpet when they gave to the poor in Jerusalem. It probably means more like something we say today, don't toot your own horn. Don't let others know how generous you are. Don't announce your intentions in order to be rewarded. People do get rewarded and recognized when they give. If you're seen as someone who gives, you will be praised and rewarded. And Jesus is calling us to think about why are we giving? Why do we give to the poor and the needy? Why do we give to the church? Why do we give to God's kingdom? Do we give it just to be recognized? Elsewhere in scripture, it talks about not giving just out of duty or out of guilt. Do we give grudgingly or cheerfully? Is our motivation God's love or something else? Jesus desires for us to not only grow in unselfishness and to grow in generosity, but he even wants us to have a lack of self-awareness when it comes to our giving. That's what verse 3 is all about. Look at that verse again with me. He says, but when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus wants us to get to a point in our giving where it's not just always calculated and planned out, but it actually becomes like second nature when it comes to generosity. Now please hear me, I do not think there is anything wrong with having a plan for giving. If you are not giving anywhere right now, you might need to create a plan to help yourself out. There's nothing wrong with that. It is fine to record your giving in order to get tax break. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a danger, isn't it, where we just calculate our giving to make sure we're getting enough back when we give. We should not give to be seen as giving, nor should we give expecting something back. It should come out of just a response to this generosity and the outgoing, spontaneous giving of God himself. When we give to the poor, when we give to missionaries, when we give to non for profits when we give to this church or the church that you are a member of or a part of, you are giving to God primarily. And if we give to God, what is his response to us? Well, it says if we give in secret, meaning when we give without trying to promote ourselves or get something back, verse 4 says we will be rewarded. Now, I don't know what this actually means. Maybe it's a future promise of God that he's going to give us in his kingdom. Like I already said, we aren't told what the reward is here. But let's think about some rewards in this life that come about when we are generous with our money. First of all, God calls us to give. If we treat the Bible as God's word with authority, we can't avoid the call and the command to give. We are called to be generous with our time, with our money, with our gifts, with our talents, with our possessions. We find it over and over again in scripture. And so with any command that God gives us, when we respond in obedience, it is a good thing for us. When we follow Jesus and God in showing generosity towards others because of the generosity he has given us, the huge reward that we get is we are united to our father and to our elder brother Jesus. This is a good thing. And not only that, but Jesus in the very next section of this sermon talks about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thing we treasure reveals what we truly love and value the most. And for many of us, it's money and possessions is where our heart often lies. And listen, as we give, I believe one of the rewards that God gives us is a chance to break away from being controlled by our money and our possessions. Now look, I do not personally like at all having my values, my idols, and my heart exposed. It is uncomfortable and I want to avoid it at all costs. But the truth of the matter is, that is a reward we get. That God won't let us just stay in our sin, in our idolatry. But he pursues us and rewards us with an opportunity to open up our hearts and our lives. And finally, there is a reward for being a part of something bigger than yourself if you give. For example, if if you are someone that gives to this church, I hope you know that almost 20% of our budget every year goes out these doors to serve other people. The money that you give to Covenant helps support church plants in our city of Chicago. The money you give to Covenant helps support international students hearing the gospel in Evanston and in the city of Chicago. The money you give supports work in Haiti and in, in Greece and in Romania and other parts of our city and our world. What a great reward it is from our Father that we get the privilege to sacrifice and be a part of God's kingdom building. What a privilege it is that we get to follow our Savior in generosity and sacrifice. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to a church and challenges them to give, he uses this important idea that they must grab hold of. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now he's not talking about money here. He's talking about the gospel. God emptied himself. Jesus gave up everything for you so that you can be rich in his love. And our response then is to respond in generosity and service with our life, with our time, and with our monies. This is a good thing and I would encourage you and challenge you to ask the question of do you give? And if you give, do you give for the right motives? May we be a church and a people that are known as being those who give. But not only that, we need to be people who pray. Jesus continues on in his sermon with these great words of prayer, an encouragement of our proper motivation of prayer, and a pattern for how we should pray. Now for some of us in this room, prayer just feels like talking to or shouting at a void, hoping something or someone will listen. For some of us in this room, prayer is a deeply personal feeling between you and God of love, And communion. For most of us, we're somewhere in between these two extremes. Jesus begins teaching on prayer like he did with giving, in that he calls us to be warned against praying for the wrong reasons. We are not to pray like the hypocrites standing in the synagogues and street corners being seen by others. But please know that praying out loud is not wrong. Praying in a group setting and out in a setting like the church is not wrong. We can find examples throughout scripture of people coming together and praying out loud. But the danger is when we pray in hopes of being seen as someone who prays. I think it is great when someone is a good example of prayer. In fact, I think it is a wonderful gift of God when he provides women and men that are examples to us on spiritual disciplines and can challenge and encourage us. When I started in ministry here at this church in the 90s, the pastor here, Dave Williams, was a godly man of prayer. I learned a lot about prayer from watching how he prayed. Many of you are great examples to me of the discipline of prayer and how you take the time and the priority to pray for one another. I think that is a good thing. And if we are an example to others in how we pray, that is okay. But the danger is when we are trying to be seen by others when we pray more than being seen by God. There's a danger in trying to use prayer to look spiritual more than to communicate with our Father. What we are in private is who we really are. When it comes to anything like prayer, what we do in private as we pray is who we really are. And what we do in private As we pray to God, He rewards us. What rewards might we get in private prayer? Well, it's intimacy with God. We get to talk to God. We get to be honest with God about our pain and about our hurt and about our doubts and our questions. Brothers and sisters, we do not need to impress God with our words. We do not need to try to coerce God into doing something for us. Jesus is clear in verse 7. We do not need to heap up empty phrases thinking that is what's going to get us heard. And I love how Jesus says these words of hope for us in verse 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is a great reward for prayer. God already knows the situation you're in right now even if you haven't told him yet. God knows where you are right now in your pain and in your questions and in your suffering, and that should encourage us to boldly come before him with our prayers. One person I read this week said, prayer is not an intelligence briefing for God, but an intelligent conversation with God. Do you understand that the God of the universe wants to have a conversation with you? The God of the universe promises to meet us when we come to him in prayer. The God of the universe is always ready to listen to us. Now, I wish I could promise you that if you pray a certain way, your prayers will be answered the way you want. I do wish there were phrases and words we can say to get what we want. I 100% admit I wish prayer was more transactional. I say these things, God, and you give me what I'm asking for. I don't understand God at times. I don't understand that there are some of you in this room right now that have been asking for something year after year after year, and God doesn't seem to be listening. I don't understand what to do when we pray for someone who is sick, when we pray for someone who has a broken relationship, when we pray for someone that has lost their job, when we pray for someone that is struggling immensely, why God doesn't just step up and make it all right right away. I don't understand God. And I wish there was a simple prayer to give, but there's not. But I do think this famous prayer that Jesus gives us, which we do not have time to dig into, this prayer that is recorded in verses 9 through 13, is a good pattern for us to think about all our prayers. We could easily spend not just a sermon, but a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And I would encourage you to read over this prayer, to pray this prayer. I have uh, Bible studies about this prayer if you would love to learn more about it. But what I just want to say today for you is that this pattern of prayer that Jesus gives us is a good help for us to come to Him, especially when we're hurting and scared and unsure of what's going on in our future. We pray to a God who is not just a God up there, but he is our Father. And he is a Father that cares for us. And we are allowed to bring before him our desires and our our hurts and our questions and our needs. But as we pray, we have to let go of our own kingdom and know that it is God's kingdom that is come and God's kingdom that will come in fullness one day, which means not everything will be answered in this lifetime, sadly, but it will be answered one day. That is the hope of that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, may we be people that pray and may we be a church that prays. And finally, and very, very, very briefly, the last illustration is on fasting. And just like giving and praying, Jesus makes sure that we're not trying to be recognized by others in our devotion. Real fasting, whether it be for an hour or two, a day, a week, 40 days, whatever it is, is actually something between you and God, not something to be used to show off our spirituality. That's what Jesus talking about here in, in the way that the people were making themselves look. To be noticed, oh, look how spiritual that person is. They're so hungry right now. Self-sacrifice, discipline, withholding yourself for a time from some things is a very good thing. Fasting is really a good tool to go alongside prayer. Fasting is a great tool to remind us of our hearts and our need to confess to God. Fasting is a good tool to express repentance and a return to God. My only encouragement for you is to do it out of a motivation for you and God, not for anyone else. I've run out of time, but let me just end it here. I hope that any of you in this room that are listening know right now that you cannot do what I've just called you to do. I really hope there's not anyone in a pew right now sitting back going, yeah, I got this. I got no problem with anything that was said today. I hope we admit how often our motives are off, how often our actions are selfish and our desires are not for God, but often for our own needs. And I gotta tell you that God knows this. There are many phrases repeated in these three sections in this part of Matthew. And one of those things that is repeated is this word, or these words. God sees us. God sees you. God sees you in your hypocrisy. God sees you in your failures. God sees you when you don't do the things you're supposed to do. And God sees you doing the things with wrong motives. And he still loves you. Because the one who gave this sermon on the mount gave his life for us. The one in the Sermon on the Mount who taught us about giving sacrificed everything for you and me. The one in the Sermon on the Mount that talked about praying was on the cross praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and he still is at the right hand of the God praying for you right now. The one who gave the Sermon on the Mount who taught us about fasting and self-denial gave up everything left the throne above to come and live and die for you and I so that we can be set free from our sins, run to this Savior. Turn to him with your hypocrisy and your failures and your wrong motives and say, Lord Jesus, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling, and hope for the good news of the gospel. Let us pray. Father, help us even as we now sing a song that comes from this prayer that you taught your disciples. To be reminded of your kingdom coming. To be reminded of your will being done. And to be reminded that you are our Father who hears us, who loves us, and who calls us to follow you with our giving and with our praying and with our fasting and our sacrificing for you and others. In your holy name. Amen.